Hello, good morning. This is Adam, and I am beginning this morning a series of morning devotional style short videos, things that are interesting to me in the, in the mornings as I'm reading the scriptures, things that, that keep coming up or interesting little tidbits. So I um, wanted to just make a video log of some of those things and be able to share them out there. So this is this morning's. Uh, today is May 4th, 2018, so may the 4th be with you. I know it's an important holiday for many. Um, but today, uh, I've been in 1 Chronicles 17, 18, 19, 20, uh, talking about what happens when David becomes king over all of Israel um, and the things that he does there. And there's some really significant things, I feel like, uh, in those passages, particularly as it relates to the season that we're in right now um, with the 70th year anniversary of the foundation of Israel, the rebirth of Israel right in the middle of that. Right now we're in the middle of Passover and um, Pentecost or uh, Shavuot. It's the giving of the Torah. It's the coming of the Spirit of God on the day uh, of Shavuot to the disciples that were seated, seated probably somewhere on the, the southern steps of the temple. So we're in this in middle time here now between these festivals, and it's always a significant time for me to just uh, uh, recount and recall and recollect those stories about the foundation of the temple, the foundation of Jerusalem, the giving of the, the covenant, the exodus from Egypt. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And, and I wanted this morning to, to just share a little bit about what I've seen, specifically as it relates to the founding of Jerusalem. Because David took the city, Jerusalem, and founded it as one of his very first acts as becoming king. And I think that that's a significant piece, particularly now in the 70th anniversary of, of Israel, um, but I think it's important to understand some of what David was doing and some of what the promises of God were to David about the founding of Jerusalem and specifically about David's desire to build a temple. It's important that we understand that there's a distinction in the scriptures in Torah, uh, uh, in particular in the beginning in Torah and the Tanakh as a whole, the Bible uh, as a whole, between the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle was a place that was given to Moses by God in Mount Sinai to build what Moses saw up in heaven. He was instructed to go build it on the earth. A tabernacle, an earthly manifestation, a creation, something that was tangible to the senses. You could see it, taste, taste it, you know, with the sacrifice. You could smell it, you could touch it. Um, in some capacity, it was tactile, that, that God told Moses to build what he saw in heaven on top of Mount Sinai, a representation of the way that God was worshipped in heaven, and create that on the earth. And it was all centered around the presence of God at the central place of the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim and the wings touching there's a lot there, and I'll do one on the Ark of the Covenant uh, and the pictures there and the angels, uh, uh, the cherubim and the presence of God, the shakan, the dwelling place. I'll do one on that here in a little while. But um, specifically, the tabernacle was that place. It was a temporary dwelling. It was a spot where the presence of God lived, but he moved from place to place with the Israelites throughout all of their journeys in the wilderness, throughout all of their time into the promised land, into the period of the judges, uh, into the time of the kings with Saul as the first king, and then David, and then Solomon after him. 
So the tabernacle is that temporary dwelling, but but David wants to build a house, uh, a permanent structure, something that's mighty and glorious, and um, uh, that all of the nations would be impressed with this big house, this temple that David wanted to build for God. So there's a distinction between the tabernacle, the tent, and the tabernacle of Moses, or the tabernacle of the wilderness, and the temple, the first temple that Solomon builds that David wants to build. Now, there's another thing called the tabernacle of David. Now, the tabernacle of David is found in, uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, when the, the Ark of the Covenant gets brought back into Israel. The Ark had been taken by the Philistines because of the high priest Eli and his sons, uh, and they had used it as a talisman against the Philistines, against God's orders or against God's wishes, um, not according to his heart, and it was taken from them. Ichabod is the word, Hebrew word, which means the glory of the Lord has departed, or the glory has departed from Israel. So the presence of God left, uh, was taken away by the Philistines, and there's this fascinating story about how the Philistines, you know, put it in the temple to their god Dagon, and overnight the god had fallen on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant, fallen down, and they freaked out and sent it off. Um, that's a story that you can read about in, in I think, First Samuel. Um, but David gets the Ark and brings it back into Jerusalem, and the very first thing that he does. Here, let's let's take a look at this. This is one Chronicles, First Chronicles, um, chapter fifteen. So um, David had just been crowned king in Hebron, and then in one Chronicles uh, fifteen, it says that verse one, it says David built houses for himself in the city of David, Jerusalem, that he just took. Um, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the Levites may carry the ark of God, uh, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord to minister unto Him forever. And then he brings it in, and there there was this problem the first time he brought it in, but he does finally get it into Jerusalem and he sets it up in a simple. T- now that tent uh, was just a very basic unadorned tent. It was put up on Mount Zion and the Ark of the Covenant was placed inside of it. There was no inner court, there was no outer court. Uh, we don't get any record of any of the sacrifices except for a peace offering and a burnt offering being offered in the tabernacle that, that the Ark of the Covenant was in for about 40 years on Mount Zion during the early days of the reign of David. Actually, the whole life of David. Um, so that tabernacle that David set up, just a basic tent with none of the mosaic structure around it for sacrifices, that all existed in Gibeon still. There was a high place in the altar at Gibeon, but David's tabernacle on Mount Zion during his reign was just a simple tent. And there was 24-hour worship and prayer that went around it. Um, Amos 9 prophesies about the rebuilding of this particular tabernacle in the latter days. So it's that tabernacle uh, that's called the Tabernacle of David. And of course, a lot can be said about this. But there's the Tabernacle of Moses, or the Tabernacle in the Wilderness. Then there's the Tabernacle of David. 
And then while those two things are existing, the tabernacle or the high place at Gibeon of Moses, the tabernacle of David on Mount Zion, both of those places exist in Israel during the time of David. But what was in David's heart was to build another place to build a temple, a house. And this is what I want to pick up here in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Because David has a desire not just to have a basic tent for the tabernacle. He wants to build a big, grand structure. Um, so 1 Chronicles 17 one says this, Now, when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. So David is saying, I don't, I don't like that I have this beautiful house that I built for myself, the palace of David, which they're uncovering today in Jerusalem, which is fascinating. Um, but David says, I've got this great house, but the, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, our God just lives in this basic tent, like sitting in this tent. I want to build a great, big, beautiful, grand structure. And so the prophet then says, like you do if you're prophesying to the king, sort of default, do whatever's in your heart, God is with you. But then we get this, and this is interesting to me, because the prophet then goes home and falls asleep, it seems like, and verse 3 of 1 Chronicles 17 says this, But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Now that kind of makes me think that the first thing Nathan told the king was not the word of the Lord, because when the word of the Lord came, it was different. And this is what the word of the Lord says about David's desire to build the temple uh, in Jerusalem. He says this, verse 4, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in, for I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent, tabernacle to tabernacle, Moses to David. And from dwelling to dwelling, that's shakan uh, in the Hebrew. It's an important word, shakan, dwelling place. It's where you get the idea of the shekinah glory, the presence of God in between the Ark of the Covenant, shakan, dwelling. So I've gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So the Lord says, the prophet, hey, I've been with the people for the last, what, 500 years from place to place. I've gone with you everywhere. My presence has gone with you. Just like the Lord said to Moses in Exodus, that my presence will go out before you and I will always be before you. And Moses says, oh God, we don't want to go if your presence, does, if your presence doesn't go with us. And the Lord says, I will be with you. An angel of the Lord and my presence will be with you everywhere you go. And so the Lord is telling this to Nathan, saying, I never one time asked the judges of Israel to build me a house. Never asked that. We continue on. This is um, verse 9. Uh, no, let's go to verse 7 of 1 Chronicles 17. Now, therefore... Thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people, 
and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people. And I will subdue all your enemies. So the Lord says to David, look, you want to build me a house? Now wait a second. I made you ruler and king over all of my people. I was with you everywhere you've gone. I was the one that have cut off your enemies before you. And then he gives David this promise. He says, I will make for you a name like the great ones of the earth. So think about this for a minute. David wants to build God this amazing brick and mortar place, this palace, this temple, this house to dwell in. And the Lord comes and says, I never asked for that. I've never lived in that structure. In fact, David, I've done this for you. I have been with you. Part of the reason why I haven't dwelled in one place is that I've been with you. God's whole desire is that he would be with his people. But then he says to David, I will make you great. I will make your name great, like one of the great ones of the earth. And then he says this, moreover, I declare to you, David, that the Lord will build you a house. Think about that. That's 1 Chronicles verse 10, the last half of verse 10. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. So David says, I want to build a temple to God. And God says, nope, you're not going to get to do that. What's going to happen? The building that's going to be done with David is that God is going to build David a house. Think about this house that God wants to build for David. Let's continue on. When your days are fulfilled, verse 11 of 1 Chronicles, when your days are filled to walk with your father's, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. That seems to refer to Solomon, which is what happens proceeding in the scriptures. We get a reference to this. So um, the one that comes after David is Solomon, and he will establish his kingdom. So it seems like Solomon, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 12. He, maybe Solomon, shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. Okay, so we know from the text that Solomon builds the temple to God, builds it after David. David compiles all the stuff and Solomon executes on dad's plan. But that temple ultimately gets destroyed and Solomon's throne does not stay forever. So if this passage was only referring to the temple, the first temple it's called, that Solomon built, then I'm not sure that establishing his throne forever in an earthly temple of Solomon is what God is talking about. Because he said, I've never even lived in a temple. In fact, I'm going to give you something better than a temple here, David. You want to build me a house? But I'm telling you, this is much better if I build a house for you and that your offspring establish a throne and a kingdom that doesn't 
ever end. God is not talking about Solomon. He's not talking about earthly temples. He's not talking about a throne of rulership that humans, mankind can create. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, I'll read it again. He, David's offspring, will build a house for me. So God says, David, you human David, King David, you can't build a house for me. I will build a house for you. And your offspring is the one that will begin or will get to build a house for me. Now, what's the house that gets built for God when God said, I never wanted a house and never lived in a house and you can't build me a house. I'm going to give you an offspring whose kingdom will not end. And that's the house I want built for me. This is what the Lord is saying here. We need to understand it. So verse 12, this offspring shall build a house for me me, and I will establish his throne forever. So what kind of son would this be? That God would establish a throne forever of David's offspring, a son who will build a house for God. What kind of son would that be? Well, he goes on to talk about the kind of person this son of David will be. Verse 13, it says, I will be to him, this son of yours, David, who will build a house for me. The Lord says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm in him my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So the Lord says that this offspring of David's will build a house for God, and he will be a son, and he will be a son to a father, and the father will be a son to this son. It seems kind of basic, father and son, like a son is always a son to a father. It's like, yeah, this is your dad, right? But he's not talking about genetic progeny here. He's talking about the role of a son in relationship to the father and what the father is going to be doing in relationship to the son. The Lord is peeling back the veil of understanding here for David. He's getting understanding about God's heart. So this is verse 13. I will be to him a father. He will be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from who was before you. That's a direct reference to Saul. When the presence of the Lord departed from Saul, the scriptures clearly articulate that. So God is saying to David, look, there's your progeny that's coming and he will not have the spirit in his life and then removed from his life because of his disobedience. That is not what's going to happen with this progeny of yours. But verse 14 I will confirm in him in my I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. That did not happen with Solomon. That kingdom was not established forever. And this is a great pain and tragedy in history, the destruction of the first temple in 586 by King Nebuchadnezzar ultimately after 120, 140 some years of siege from the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. But that temple was destroyed. 70 years later, it was rebuilt 
and it stood for approximately 500 years. And then it was destroyed by Emperor Titus in the siege of Jerusalem in about 70 AD. That second temple was destroyed. The throne in the house of God was not established forever on an earthly temple. It has not happened. So is the Bible wrong? Is 1 Chronicles 17 wrong? Or have we just not seen it yet? Or was this throne established forever that God is showing David? In the middle of David wanting to build an earthly temporal dwelling place, God is unveiling something so much bigger. He's saying, my throne, maybe he's saying this. Look at this. My throne is not on the earth where you want to build things. I am going to establish a throne, a place of my authority, a place of my name, a place of my dwelling that will last forever. David, and it will be through you. It will be through your line, but I, God, will build it. You, David, will not, but it will come through your son, through a son of your line, and that's the throne that will be established forever. So this is what the Lord is saying in 1 Chronicles 17. So verse 15, let's read on. In accordance with all these words and in, accord- in accordance with all of this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So that was the vision that Nathan had from the Lord. And then Nathan went and spoke everything exactly as he heard it from God to David, the king. In contradiction to what the, the prophet had said to the king earlier. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, he shows up to David in the morning. And he's like, yeah, you know that thing I said God was with you yesterday that you could do whatever's in your heart? Yeah, don't do that. Uh, This is what the Lord says. You can't build a temple, but it's even better. I will build a house for you. So listen to this. This is King David's response to this correction and the acknowledgement that he can't do what's in his heart. He wants to build the temple and and the prophet Nathan says, you can't do that. So this is David's response. And this is one of the reasons that I love David so much. Verse 16 16 of 1 Chronicles 17. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Where did he go in? Well, he went into the tabernacle of David. He went in and sat before the presence of God in right into the mercy seat. He had boldness to approach this mercy seat and sit before the Lord. This is where so many of the Psalms Like Psalm 22 is this incredible revelation of of the coming Messiah and a coming age um, that David gets most likely from sitting in the presence of God in that tabernacle, in that holy place. It was a place of connection and intimacy that was totally illegal under the Mosaic Covenant, and it wasn't part of what David wanted to build. It was the presence of God in Israel. So the king goes into the presence of God. He hears a word from God, and then he goes into the presence of God and sits down in the presence. And this is what King David says. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Who am I? Why would you build me a house? Why would you bring me this far? God, why would you do this? Who am I that that, that you would do this for me? Verse 17. And this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. 
and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. So David comes into the presence of God and says, who am I that you would do this for me? And yet you consider this even a light thing. On top of that, that that you would bless me like this, you've shown me my future generations for a while to come. Now, David is saying, look, maybe, maybe it's just Solomon again. This is another data point here inside of this text as we interpret it and walk through it. Maybe he's saying, you have shown me future generations for my son Solomon or my other sons. But no, he says, you've shown me future generations for a while to come. And then the last half of this verse says this, and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. And I read out of the ESV Bible uh, most of the time, just in the mornings. Uh, but I look, you know, when I'm doing study and research in a lot of other translations. But my ESV Bible here has a little asterisk that says Hebrew uncertain or Hebrew, Hebrew meaning uncertain. So I got out my Bible app and, uh, you know, went and looked at the Hebrew and some of the other translations. And there's something very interesting here uh, in the Hebrew. Anytime I see a footnote that says uncertain or meaning uncertain, it typically means that translators don't really know how to interpret this in the context. Um, you know, and I'm not going to assume, you know, that, uh, that, that I know better just from reading a Bible app. But I do want to show you what's there in the Hebrew and some interesting context for that. So, um, this is in the context of David being in the presence, having heard from the Lord that, that he couldn't build a house and the Lord was going to build him a house. And then he comes in and says, oh God, you have shown me future generations. David's saying, you've given me a revelation of what's yet to come for the house of God, for a kingdom that never ends. I think David is undone by this. And this last line, you have shown me future generations in the ESV. Um, I want to unpack this a little bit. Uh, the Hebrew word for you have shown is the word for saw. And it's in Genesis 1. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good repeatedly. So you have revealed or seen or looked upon. It depends on the tense of that particular word. But you have looked upon. God has shown David, or God has looked upon, or David has looked upon something. Now, the next word um, is uh, is a word, tor. Uh, I think I said that right. You can check your own Bible apps. I'm not a Hebrew speaker. But this word is a word that gets translated to mean succession, or string, or standard. The King James talks about this. You have judged me according to the standard. Uh, and this is interesting because... This word uh, that, that could mean ring or standard, it gets used to talk, primarily it gets used um, in the book of Esther, when Esther gets adorned with all these scents and takes baths and goes to this beauty protocol to come in to the presence of the king, and she gets adorned with a string. On her head is a crown, or sometimes it's like a necklace of pearls. But this word is about a circle. It's a circle. It's a string. It's it's a string of succession, but it's also referencing a circle. And that's the important part here and why some people translate that as future generations, because the picture emerges from this word is that it's a string, which is sequential, one, two, three, four, but it's a circle 
also. So it's sequential that it goes in order, but that it comes around. And it goes in order means it's progeny and linear, but that it comes around is a reference from the origin. So it's David's future that also comes back around to remind us that it's from David. So it's succession, but circular. I know that's kind of a strange concept, but it's, it's what this Hebrew word is trying to articulate. And it's part, it's, it's kind of the crux of the, of the reason that the translators say uh, the meaning of the Hebrew is uncertain. Because in the context of all of this, we get this term about jewelry and succession and a circle. Okay? So the next word, you have shown me future generations. In the Hebrew, it's you have, I have seen or I have, I have been revealed or I have seen a succession, a standard or a string of man. And that word man is Adam. So it's Ra'ah, Tor, Adam, Ma'alach. Yehovah Elohim. Excuse my Hebrew pronunciation if you know Hebrew. But that's the sentence. So it says that God has shown him a succession of a man, Ma'alah. And that word, Ma'alah, is to ascend or to go up. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall go up into his presence? Songs of ascent are this, to go up, to walk up to go up towards. And it has the strong connotations in many of the places in Scripture about going up into the presence or going up into the temple or going up to God. So this is about a man, Adam, 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 who has ascended up to heaven or up to the presence. And then it says, Jehovah, Jehovah, I am, Yahweh, the I am, and Elohim, God. So let's put this together. So David is saying in the presence of God, after wanting to build the temple, God reveals something even better. He reveals to David, not an earthly temple, but an eternal temple, an eternal temple that will come from David's lineage. And then David goes into the presence of of God and he says, God, thank you, essentially, thank you. You have revealed something to me and you have shown me my house for a great while. And, and here's the part we need to add, a fuller understanding of. You have shown me your servant's house for a great while, verse 17, and I have seen a succession of a man who has ascended to I am God. I have seen a succession or a standard of a man, Adam, Adam, who has ascended I am God. Now think about this. David is saying back to God that God has revealed to him that there is a son of David's who is an Adam, maybe a second Adam, a second Adam, who ascended to God. Now, all of this stuff here, and it, I mean, that, that passage goes on and it's incredible. Um, and David basically blesses the Lord and repeats it. But I want you to understand here in this place and this critical moment in the life of Israel and the revelation to King David, who will go on to do some mighty things, that God says, I, from you, David, I, God, will build a kingdom that does not end. And that throne will be established forever. 
And David says back to the Lord, you have shown me a succession, a standard of a second Adam who ascended to heaven. I think this is a pretty strong reference to the work of Yeshua, Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem from the house of David, a son of David, the one who grew up in Nazareth as a shoot, as a branch, the city of branches, Shootville, Nazareth. This is a picture, and this is an early, one of the early and powerful moments in the scriptures when God says, David, I'm establishing your throne forever. And one of your sons, the second Adam who ascends to heaven, his kingdom is the kingdom that will not end. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about the temple specifically now. And he says about the second temple, the temple that was rebuilt. Some people call it Zerubbabel's temple. Um, Some people call it Zechariah's temple. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah um, in about 516 when that second temple was finally rebuilt. And it stood and King Herod apparently expanded it during the days of Jesus. But in 70 AD, that thing was destroyed. But during the life of Jesus, Jesus said, I will tear down this temple. I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Now that is a very specific reference to the fact that this earthly temple is not the one that God the Father had been talking about. I don't necessarily think that it's bad because of that, the earthly temple, but it wasn't the one that God was telling David that he would build. Jesus said, I will tear down this earthly structure and in three days I will rebuild it. Well, what did Jesus do in three days? His body was rebuilt. He was rebuilt. He was restored from death, ransomed, captured out of death. And I want to tell you here in another video um, the pictures of the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God and the angels and the work of Jesus, how that stuff all connects throughout from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the resurrection of Jesus into the book of Revelation. I'll do a teaching on that. But what I want to tell you is that when Jesus says, I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days, what he's doing is he's confirming what God said to David in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, that God would build a house for David and one of David's sons, the second Adam who ascended to God I am, that second Adam would rebuild, God would build that house and that is the house that will last forever. So it's the house of Jesus, the body of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the throne of God that gets established through the Son, Yeshua, Messiah, is the one that lasts forever. But make no mistake, God does not supersede Israel at this point. He doesn't say to David, look, David, you want to build me a house in Israel? You know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to honor that at all. In fact, I'm going to reject you and your house, and I'm going to pick some Moabite or some Ammonite or Malachite or some other ite from some other part of the world, and I'm going to give my Messiah through them. No. God says to David, you want to build me a house? Well, you don't get to build me a house. I'm building you a house, but it's coming through your line. The Messiah, the house that God built, was not in Israel. The house was through Israel. The house of God's presence is for the whole world. 
but it came into the world through Israel, through the people that God called, through the line of David, through the house of David, through the place of Jerusalem. And though humans wanted a physical structure, God said, I'm giving you an eternal structure, one that will not end. Though heavens and earth will be shaken and the glory of the latter temple will be greater than that of the former, Haggai prophesies, even though all of this stuff is shaking on the earth, there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that temple, the one that comes into creation through the sun, That's the one that lives forever and lasts forever. That is the kingdom of Yeshua, the Messiah, that doesn't come and undo Israel, but comes to the whole world through Israel. That is the temple and the origin story of the temple. Now, there's a whole lot more that happens, and we'll cover some of that, but I wanted you to get that. Read Chronicles 17. Understand this stuff in the context of what God is doing, immediately juxtaposing from the very beginning of the temple narrative, the temple story, there is a juxtaposition between an earthly temple that mankind wants to build and a heavenly eternal temple that God wants to build through a son that ascends to the Father.